Hello, everyone. Please. Hello. Hi, Ian. How are hey. you? How are you? Doing great. Cool. What are you doing up here, man? I'm preaching. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, this is like your first time, isn't it? Yeah. Cool. Ever. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Hi, guys. Uh, these are my bodyguards, Ian, Matt. They're going to stand here the whole time. Yeah. Not really. Oh. Uh, I'm not intimidating enough, bro. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your service, though. I appreciate your service. Cool. So, as Charles and Christopher said, I am Sean. If you don't know me, it's probably because I was in the crowd doing sound and hiding from everyone. Uh, but, yes, I'm Sean. So, that's pretty much all you need to know about me. Um, okay, so, like Charles said, this is our last Chi Alpha of the semester. Sad. But next week, we do have that awesome Christmas party. So, Totally going to be cool. I'm excited. I'm going to go. We're, we're, for small group, we're going to get uh, ugly sweaters. We're going to go to Goodwill and try and find them. So, uh, before your small group. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, we'll get started. Um, first off, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of me and a sheep. Um, <laughs> this, this is one of my favorite pictures. <laughs> uh, the one holding the sheep, right? So I took this, uh, this picture was taken, <laughs> yeah, Sean the sheep. <laughs> this picture was taken three summers ago. I went on a mission trip to England, and it was really cool. Um, the family we stayed with, we went to have dinner with them. Uh, the guy's name is Johnny Sayers, and he was telling me this picture was actually taken on my birthday which was really cool. But he was telling us that when he was a kid, they used to go and chase all their sheep around. They have like 150 sheep on their farm. And so he was like, do you want to do that? I was like, heck yeah, I want to do that. Um, and so uh, if you guys know anything about sheep, they are really dumb animals. They're directionless, defenseless. They're not good at making choices for themselves. They kind of stay together, right? Uh, and this sheep was exactly that. So if you notice, there's a fence in the background. Um, so what was happening, I was running after the sheep, and so if the fence is like this, we're running straight at it. Uh, and no joke, instead of the sheep, when it gets about 10 feet away, instead of going right or left, it like starts to hobble in place, turns and looks at me, sits down, and like falls on its side. <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, that was easy, right? And so um, the reason this picture, I like it so much, is because Jesus, actually, in the Bible, he calls us sheep. He says, my sheep know my voice, and they listen to me. Right? And the reason I like this picture is because the first time I realized that, I was like, wait a second. Is Jesus calling us dumb and directionless and defenseless? Not really good at making our own choices? Kind of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's not saying it rudely, but he's just kind of stating the truth, right? And I remember being upset at the idea and then realizing, well, most of the choices I've made have been pretty dumb. I didn't really know where I was going, right? And so this picture really meant a lot to me. Um, and it's really cool because, remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. He had a small group. And uh, they were his sheep, right? And in particular, we're going to talk about one guy tonight. And so we've been doing this series on Jesus encountering people. And the person we're going to talk about tonight is Peter. So has anyone heard of Peter? Who's heard of Peter? Right. Most people have heard of Peter, right? He's probably the most prominent disciple um, of all Jesus' disciples talked about most. And him along with the guy Paul, they were the most influential people in the early church. He was actually the person who, like, preached the first sermon of the church, pretty much. Um, and so, before we talk about the moment that Jesus encountered him, we're going to talk, I just want to let you know a little bit who Peter is, right? And so, Peter, by occupation, 
he was a fisherman, okay? So his job was to catch fish, go and sell them at the market, go back out, catch more fish, right? He did it day in and day out, and he was good at it. We also see that Peter was uneducated and untrained. Um, I put scriptures up there so you guys can look at them. But this doesn't mean that Peter was not a smart man. It just meant that he stopped going to school, right? When a Jewish boy was 12, they either kept going to school or they took up their father's job. And he just took up his father's job. He became a fisherman, right? So he's not dumb. He's just stopped going to school. Um, We also see that Peter was married. A lot of people don't know that. It talks about in Matthew 8 and a couple other places that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. You can only have a mother-in-law if you're married, right? Um, And then we also see that Peter left all to follow Jesus. This also meant he left his wife. Um, I am under the impression that Peter's wife was actually one of the women who traveled with Jesus. But there was a point where Peter had to go back home and say, Honey, uh, sorry I wasn't here for the past two weeks or however long he was gone. Because it says in the Bible that he put his net up and his nets and his fishing stuff up and it went right with Jesus, right? So he left right away. Um, some other things we see about Peter is that he was a very intelligent person, right? So we said he was dumb, but we also said he's intelligent. Those actually aren't counterintuitive um, words, right? So what I mean by intelligent is that Peter, he asked questions. He asked more questions than any of the other disciples, actually. Um, and so I think one of the telltale signs of someone who's intelligent is someone who asks questions. Whether they're book smart or not, if they're asking questions, it means they want to know something, right? We see that Peter was an emotionally driven person. Um, he, he was, uh, if you've ever met someone who's emotionally driven, they've got their really high highs and they've got their really low lows, right? And Peter was the king of that. He had these moments that were just some of the best moments in the Gospels where he says these things and he does these things that are so beautiful and so amazing. And then he has these moments where he's like, what are you doing, dude? You know? And uh, one of my favorites is, it, it's sad, but it's one of those moments that totally tells it, is he, Jesus tells all his disciples, he says, you guys are going to, you're going you're gonna to forsake me, you're going to leave me, right? And uh, Peter stands up and he's like, no, Jesus. I won't, they will, and he like throws his friends under the bus, he's like, they'll do it, but I won't, right, and totally just doesn't know what he's saying in this emotional high, and Jesus tells him, no, you're going to deny me three times, and then Peter does deny him three times, right, and then it ends up saying that when Peter denies him the third time, he's cussing and cursing, like, he is saying these foul words, because he's trying to be like, no, I don't know that man, right, really, really sad story, but he's just this emotional, you know, volatile man, Um, when it comes to his emotions. We see that Peter was very strong-willed. He's the only man who ever dared to walk on the water with Jesus, and he's the only disciple who ever dared to question something Jesus said. And we're actually going to see that in the passage we look at tonight, Um, when he, you know, he had this (laughs) moment of like, no, I don't agree with you, Jesus. Um, And then lastly, we see that Peter was a fairly weak man. Um, This doesn't mean like strength-wise. This means like he was the type of person who at the end of the day was probably like, oh, I did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, but I'll, I, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And then the next day he does it again, right? <laughs> so it's just like, bro, like you're, you're not only a trial to yourself, you're a trial to us too. Like stop, stop being so lame, you know? Um, and so we see that Peter has, he has all these makings of a great man, but there's something that's missing, right? He's intelligent, he's asking questions, he follows Jesus, Right, he's got these makings of a great man, but he's missing something. Um, and so, did you guys know that Peter isn't actually his real name? 
His name is Simon. And we see that in John 142. It says, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And so obviously a name just translated to English. It just means Peter. But as you guys know, names have meanings, right? And so Peter's name, Cephas, that uh, the meaning of that name means the rock or the stone. Um, and what's cool about that is that in those days, it would have been understood that a rock or a stone would have been a foundation. It, they're speaking of a foundational rock, right? And if you have a foundation of a house, it has to be strong. There can't be cracks in it. There can't be, you know, lumps in it. It's got to be a, a, a solid stone. And Peter was anything but that, right? He had all these makings of a great foundation, but he's got cracks and he's got lumps in him. But what's so cool about this is that Jesus looks at Peter and he says, this is going to be your name, right? He's, he's seeing Peter for who he knows he's going to be. And he's having hope for Peter's life. And he's saying, you're, I'm going to call you this because I'm believing you're going to become this, right? And Peter, he's like, oh, cool. I guess I'll be Peter, you know, like totally different name. Um, cool. So now we know a little bit about Peter. Um, and we're going to look at the moment that Jesus encounters Peter, though. And so obviously Peter was with Jesus for all three years of his ministry, so there's a lot of cool moments. But this moment we're looking at in particular, um, it takes place within a span of eight days. It's in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, we're going to read the first half out of Matthew and then the second half out of Luke. It's the same story. If you don't believe me, come find me afterwards. I'll give you all the verses. It's a really awesome story. Um, so we'll read it together. It'll be up on the screen. This is Matthew 16, 13 through 17. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to them, said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. And then we jump to verse 20, and, and Peter, or this is where it says, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show and teach his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Right? He's like, uh, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. I know, but you don't. Totally, this is a big blunder. Uh, and then now we're going to jump to Luke 9. And this says, it's, so it's eight days later, and it tells us that. It says, Now it came to pass about eight days after Jesus said these things, all the stuff he had just said, that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his death, which, was about to which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with who, who were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who were standing with him. Then it happened, as Moses and Elijah were leaving, Jesus, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, so let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
When the voice had ceased and the cloud departed, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days of the things they had seen. So what's going on? Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And they give this answer, and like, this person, that person. And then he asks the all-important question. He says, who do you say that I am? Right? And then Peter boldly stands up and he says, you are the Christ. What he's saying is, you are God. You're God, is what Peter is telling Jesus, right? And it's so cool because Jesus is like, yes, this hasn't been revealed by you, though. This is the Father who's revealed this to you. And then it goes on just a moment later, and Jesus is like, okay, well, don't tell anyone, and here's the reason why. Don't tell anyone because I have to die first and then be risen on the third day. And Peter's like, ah, no, I don't like that, right? And then um, it's cool because Jesus actually ends up rebuking him here. I didn't put it in there, but Jesus rebukes him. He says, you're not mindful of the things of God, okay? And then eight days later, they're now going up on the mountain. Jesus only takes three of the disciples, um, Peter, James, and John. And they go up, and they get to the top, and they're falling asleep, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is glowing, right? And you're just like, uh, what is going on? What in the world? But Jesus is glowing, and there's this, this little interaction between Peter and God, right? Um, and so that's kind of what's going on in this moment. And what we see is that Jesus encounters Peter here as God. He encounters him as divine, as transcendent, as something that is more than man, right? Um, and so who has ever heard someone say that Jesus is fully God and fully man? Uh-huh. Who has ever had trouble understanding that? I have. But I think it's very crucial for us to understand, um, to understand about who Jesus is, to understand what this even means, right? Um, and so Jesus is fully man, and he is fully God. Um, and I know that I, I struggled with understanding this, but I think there's a verse in the Bible, in my opinion, it, it's one of the most, if not the most important verse for understanding and being very clear that Jesus really is God. And it's Philippians. Paul writes about this, and he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held onto. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human form, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Who likes grammar? I do. You know, it says, let's eat grandma, or let's eat, comma, grandma. <laughs> totally different sentences, right? Well, grammar, I think, it, it may not be the funnest thing, but in the Bible, it is huge. And especially in this verse, because it says, who being in very nature God. It doesn't say who was God and then became man. It says who being God and also became man. Right? Jesus, did you guys know that Jesus was the only person who ever chose to be born? None of us got that choice. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. You know? <laughs> None of us got that choice, but Jesus chose, and we know this because one of his favorite things to say was, I came. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. I came to destroy the works of the devil. I came, I came, I came. Jesus said this, and it was an understood implication that he chose to come, right? So then why don't we see these moments, like on the mountain, where he's glowing and like 
you know, shining so brightly that, it, like, Mark actually tells his story. He says he was so bright that no, no laundry person could get him whiter. Like, no, no person could clean his clothes that bright, right? Um, why don't we see moments like this? Because, honestly, this is the only time in the entire Bible, in the entire life of Jesus, that he actually ever is like this, or he's glowing like this, right? Um, and w- the reason why is because when Jesus chose to become a man, he didn't stop being God, right? But he did leave his authority and his glory in the position that he had as God. And he came to be like, just like you and me, right? He, he chose to embrace all of humanity. Um, and it's so cool because, yeah, he didn't glow all the time. <laughs> he didn't walk around like a big old flashlight, you know, like that song in Pitch Perfect 2 where you hold up your phone and you swing the flashlight. He wasn't like that. He didn't walk around like that. Um, but his, even though he was fully man, his divinity still burst through him, right? So we see, you know, <laughs> whenever I was trying to understand that Jesus was God and man, I kind of leaned more towards the God side. I was like, he's God, but he's not Superman. I was like, he probably doesn't have to go to the bathroom, probably doesn't get hungry. And then you read these stories in the Bible, you're like, wait a second, Jesus was asleep. Like, there's a story in Matthew 8, Christopher. <laughs> there's a story in Matthew 8 where he is, he is sleeping so hard that he's in the middle of a storm on a boat. Like, is, if anyone's ever tried to sleep on a boat, I grew up going fishing. It's the hardest thing in the world because you're, like, rocking around, and you're just like, oh, I get sick right? And the dude is so tired that he's asleep in the middle of a storm. And his disciples come like, Jesus, get up. And then he walks outside and says, be quiet. And the storm stops, right? Fully man, fully God. Or in John 4, he he goes to this woman and he says, can I get a drink? Because he's thirsty. And this is a woman who culturally he shouldn't even be talking to, right? And she gives him water and he drinks. And then he turns around and he says, I can give you eternal life. Fully man, fully God. Right, And we see these moments where Jesus' divinity is bursting through his humanity. But this moment on the mountain, this is the only time where we ever really see it fully. right? The full brilliance of Jesus as God. And so this is cool because Peter knew this man. Peter knew that Jesus was God. And we know this because Matthew 16. Says, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Jesus said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are God in the flesh. And Jesus commended him. He was, he was like, yes, Peter, you're right, I am. And it was so cool because it was only after Peter confessed that Jesus was God that he saw the full glory of him as God, right? And so what we see now, we're, we're going up this mountain, right? So Jesus takes the three disciples um, now, if you guys know, this mountain that they went up on was Mount Hermon. Oops, sorry about that. Didn't mean to go there. Uh, the mountain that they went up on was called Mount Hermon. You can actually look it up. It's still there. It's still a mountain. Uh, it's one of the highest mountains in all of the area of Israel. <laughs> and um, it's one of the only mountains that's snow-capped year-round, right? So it's always snowy on the top. It's over 9,000 feet tall. Um, this would have been something that would have taken you all day, unless you're Alex Ritter, then you can just run up it really fast. But for any other normal human being, this would take you all day to go up this thing. And you got to imagine, too, they're in those, like, little Jesus sandals, right? So (laughs) it's not like they're not wearing, like, you know, nice boots, like hiking boots. And so what this is one of those things that, like, they leave in the morning, they get there when the sun's going down. 
And for anyone who's ever hiked for a really long time, what's the one thing that you want to do at the end? Sleep. Yes. Pitch your tent and go to sleep. That's what I would want to do. And that is what they did. That is what Peter, James, and John did. They got up to the top. I can imagine the sun's going down. They're like huddled together with their sheepskin, you know, coats, and they're like, what is Jesus doing over there? We're just going to sleep, whatever, you know? Uh, and like they just kind of forget what Jesus is doing, and they go to sleep, and it says they fall asleep, and then all of a sudden there's a really bright light, like if someone turned these lights on in your face, and you're like, ah, man, like, dude, come on, you know? Like super bright, and they kind of shake their heads, and they wake up, and then all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, <laughs> that light's not on Jesus, it's coming from Jesus, like the light wasn't reflected, it was refracted from Jesus, right? And then they also realized, like, wait a second, Peter's probably like, James, John, who are those two people, <laughs> you know? Like, where'd they come from? They didn't walk with us. And it's Moses and Elijah, right? Moses has been dead for 1,400 years. Elijah's been dead for 850 years. Why are they here? Well, the scripture actually tells us why they're here. It says they're there because they were talking with Jesus about the fact that he was going to die, Right? And I've never been at the point where I thought I was going to die, but I can imagine if I know I'm going to die, like someone who has cancer or some sickness, you, you're going to want to talk to someone, right? You want to tell someone and let, the, like, just be like, hey, I'm going to die and I need to, I need to understand this. I need to process this, right? And uh, my friend David Pawson, he actually tells a story about an entire hospital ward where these people, they all had the same sickness. They were going to die in like a week or two weeks really quickly, and the doctors and their family wouldn't actually tell them that they were going to die because they figured, let's just let them go quickly and not let them have to worry about this, right? And there was a maid that would come in every day, and she would clean the floors and take the trash out, and every single room she was in, the people would say, hey, can you stop for a little bit? I want to talk to you. I know I'm going to die. They won't tell me. I just need someone to talk to. And she would listen, and she sat with every person, and she listened. Because these people were desperate to tell someone that they were going to die, right? And Jesus was desperate to tell someone. Because remember, he's a man, right? When he, when he embraced humanity, he embraced all of it. When we go through these agonizing moments, Jesus went through those too, right? And so Jesus needs to talk to someone about the fact that he's going to die. So why doesn't he tell his disciples? Because he already tried. Remember? He tried in Matthew 16, 20 to 23, he tried to tell them, he says, guys, I'm going to go die, and I'm going to be risen again. And then Peter's like, nah, brah, no, you're not. You don't know. <laughs> I know best, right? And, and he's wrong. Peter was wrong. And so Jesus couldn't talk to his disciples about reality, so he had to talk to dead men, right? Um, but in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that the, the disciples dropped the ball, they couldn't, you know, be there for Jesus, Jesus still takes them up in this moment. He takes Peter, James, and John up with him, right? He doesn't hold it on. He doesn't hold it against them. He takes them up to be a part of this moment, right? And so <laughs> you guys have probably heard Jordan say it earlier this semester. Katie said it. Anyone who's talked about Peter probably says it, that this guy puts his foot in his mouth every time he talks, right? Foot-shaped mouth. Well, this time he put both his feet in his mouth. Like, have you ever seen Zohan? Where he like, he's like kicking with both his feet, right? Both his feet were in his mouth, right? Um, and what is it that Peter says, though, right? So what's happening, we see in this moment that Moses and Elijah are leaving when he finally says something. So at least he listened for a little bit, 
or maybe he had just woken up, right, and they were leaving. But Peter, he, he blurts out as they're walking away, and he says, Master, it is good for us to be here, so let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That doesn't seem too bad, right? There's actually, like, a ton of different things in this one statement that Peter did wrong, but I'm only going to look at two. Um, the first is the fact that he calls him master, right? Um, this one actually doesn't make sense unless you read the, the scripture in its original writing, and the language it was written in was Greek, right? And the word master here actually is a, a term that would be rendered as, you know, a supervisor or um, a coordinator or, or some, some kind of leader like that. I, I guess the best way I thought of it was like someone like President Guy, right? The title of president. It's not something that's exclusively his. There's been 50 other presidents here at the school. It's not, it, it's not something that's his and will always be his, right? And this is what Peter calls him because he says master. It's this very human word of endearment. And the reason why this is an issue is because eight days before, Peter said he was God. He said, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're God. And now all of a sudden he's like, uh, you're just a good man, right? You're just this... Uh, good leader. Um, and so Peter spoils the moment firstly by saying that. And then he also says this. He says, it is good for us to be here. So let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> right? It's that part about building the tabernacles. And this is the typical response of a man who's too used to working with his hands and not with his heart. Right, And what happens in this moment, Peter says this. It says, while Peter is saying this, the cloud descends. So <laughs> God in his mercy stops him from saying anything else dumb. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Peter had a lot more to say. But the cloud descends, and then there's a, the voice of God speaks. right? And the reason the cloud descends, the reason why Peter made this mistake, why it is a mistake, is because Peter put Jesus on the same level as great men of God. And the cloud is going to have to descend and blot out the greatest men of God if you make Jesus anything other than what he is. Jesus is not a great man of God. He is God. Right? And the cloud is going to have to descend on your life. Right? He's g it's going to have to blot out your youth pastor. It's going to have to blot out your small group leader. It's going to have to blot out your parents. It's going to have to blot you out if you're ever going to make Jesus anything other than what he is. Right? I mean, Peter got blotted out. Peter was one of the greatest men in the Bible. He did some of the most amazing work for the church, but he had to get blotted out because he made Jesus something other than what he was. Right? And then we hear this beautiful voice, the voice of God. And God isn't speaking to everyone. He's speaking to Peter. And what does he say? He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. And the cloud lifts. And who's standing there but Jesus? Right? Elijah and Moses are gone. He says, this is my son. No great man compares to him. He is God in the flesh. This is him. Right? And then he says, listen to him. Because if Jesus really is God then we have to do something about it, right? If he is God in the flesh, if he is God as man, that means he lived the same life you and I did. 
That means he experienced the same hurts that we did. That means he can be trusted. And if he is God also, then we need to do something about it. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Um, and we're going to look at one more passage, um, still talking about Peter. <laughs> so remember Peter denies Jesus three times, right? He's like, no, 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 like, I don't know this man. I don't know this man. And then he starts cussing the third time. I don't know this man, you know, like totally cussing, totally just flipping out. And what actually Peter doesn't realize it at the moment, and I don't think he realizes it until the moment we're about to look at, he was actually, he actually took himself out of fellowship with Jesus and the disciples. And we know this because there's a point where Jesus, when he first is risen, he talks to the women and he says, go get my disciples and Peter. He doesn't just say, go get my disciples. He says, and Peter, because Peter took himself out, right? And so we get to John 21, the last chapter in the gospel of John. And what's going on is Peter is kind of here. Jesus has already appeared twice to them. um, And this is the third time he's about to appear. But Peter, for some dumb reason, goes back to his old job. Right, This is the same Peter who was standing on the mountain with Jesus and saw him glowing. as He saw him as God. And now what is he doing? Didn't anything Jesus do in his life mean anything? That he would have at least not gone back to his old job, right? But he does. And we get this beautiful story where they're on the boat and Jesus is standing on the shore and he says, throw your nets on the other side. And they catch all these fish, and they catch like 152 fish or some crazy number, but the nets don't tear. And then all of a sudden, Peter realizes that it's Jesus on the shore, and he can't even wait for the boat. He jumps out and swims to shore because he's so excited to see Jesus. And then he gets there, and it says they have breakfast, and then we pick up at this, John 21, 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And by these, he's talking about all the fish. Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Then Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him then, Tend my sheep. Then Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I all you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him then, Feed my sheep. This is another one of those verses where if you don't understand it in its original language, it it seems redundant. It's like why does he keep saying, You love me, you love me, you love me? Right? And you're just like, This what in the world? But you see I put these words in parentheses, agape and phileo. Agape is the, they're they're different words for love in the Greek. And the word agape is the love, it's the highest form of love. It's an unselfish love. It's a love that chooses for someone else's highest good and not their own, right? And then the word phileo, the word that, that Peter keeps using, that's best understood as a brotherly love or a love of a friendship, right? And so that's like kind of like our small groups, the way we love each other. And so... Looking at these questions again, what Jesus is asking, he's saying, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you love me enough to do what I ask you? Do you love me enough to pick up the cross that I've asked you to to carry, right? And then Peter responds and he says, Lord, I phileo love you. I love you like a brother. 
I really do, right? And then Jesus tells him, okay, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you unselfishly love me? Are you going to choose for my highest good and not for your own, right? And Peter responds, he says, I phileo love you. You know I love you as a brother. You know I've loved the time we had together. And Peter tell, Jesus tells him, okay, tend my sheep. But then this third time, Jesus uses the word that Peter's been using, right? And, it, and he says, phileo, do you phileo love me? And what Jesus is asking, he's saying, Peter, do you even like me? And Peter's grieved, not because Jesus asked him three times, but because Jesus asked him the third time this way. Do you phileo love me? Do you even like me? And Peter responds, says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. Right? And then Jesus responds, feed my sheep. And it's so cool because this whole conversation, this whole question asking, it's the same question that Jesus asked Peter once before. He asked him, he said, who do you say that I am? Right? Who do you say that I am? You know, this isn't, this isn't Jesus rebuking Peter. This is Jesus reinstating him. This isn't a bad moment. This is a beautiful moment. Jesus is actually having hope for Peter's life right now because Peter actually answered honestly. When, P- when He knew what Jesus was asking. Jesus was saying, are you going to agape love me? Are you going to love me this way? And Peter was like, I don't, I don't know if I can, so I'm not going to say it. And then Jesus finally gets to the last one and says, okay, you keep saying you, you love me this way. Do you really? And Peter says, yes. He's like, okay then do something about it. Take care of my sheep. Take care of the ones who are dumb, defenseless. They don't know what they're doing. Fight for them because I'm calling you to a higher love. I'm calling you to a love that, that goes beyond just a friendship. We need that friendship, yes. We do. Every one of us. We, need to, we, we should want to be friends with Jesus. We should like Jesus, Right? But Jesus is calling us to something higher, too. And it's so cool because he asked Peter this, and he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter, he'd answered this question once before, right? He'd said, you're God. And I think Jesus was asking him again because it goes right after that and says that Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. And Peter died for Jesus. Remember, Jesus had hope for Peter's life. And I think Jesus is asking all of us that, that same question tonight, right? Who do you say that I am? And I promise you guys, the answer to this question, I think, I know for me, it's been the most important question I've ever answered in my life. And I'm always, always answering it again and again. Peter got asked it a couple of times in different forms, but he did. Right? And the way you respond to this really will affect the rest of your life. Is Jesus really Lord in your life? If you say that he is, then does your life live up to that? When, G- when Jesus asks you that question, who do you say that I am? And you say, you're Lord and you're God. Does your life match that? That's why Peter got asked. He had, Jesus wanted his life to match what he said. And he wants your life to match what you say. Do you say that Jesus is God? Or do you just say that he's some good man, some idealist? Who do you say that Jesus is? And I really do think that this will affect 
It'll affect your breaks. This break that you go home on, it'll affect the way you treat people. It'll affect the way you look at suffering and pain in the world. It'll affect the way you look at the person you're going to marry one day. The way you answer this question is going to affect the rest of your life. And Jesus is asking all of us, me included, who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much, Jesus. Lord, we're grateful for you, God. We're grateful, Jesus, that you never give up on us, God, that you have hope for our lives, Jesus. Lord, that you see what we're going to become, Lord. And Lord, you don't just kind of just hope it, God. You actually do something about it too, God. You step into our lives and you ask us questions. Lord, you, you put people in our lives, Jesus, to help us understand more of who you are, God. And Jesus, I pray that in response tonight, God, that we would, we would let you ask that question to us and then we would be honest with ourselves, Jesus, that we wouldn't give the answers we know we should give, but we should give the answers that we know is in our heart, Lord, and be honest with you, Jesus. And if we can't honestly say that you're Lord, then I pray that we would have the, the courage to actually say, Jesus, would you give me the faith to believe that? Would you give me the strength and the faith to believe that you are God and man, that you lived the same life that I lived in all of its temptations, all of its pain, and all of its suffering, and all of its joys, and everything that life can throw at us. You went through it too, and you are now sitting on a throne in heaven, not as some spiritual being, but you are still flesh and blood in heaven right now at this moment, Jesus. You are sitting on a throne as a man, when you, when you became a man, you became a man forever, Jesus. And we can relate to you, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that when you ask us that question, Jesus, that in humility and in brokenness and in honesty, Jesus, we would answer it, Lord. And that we would ask you to make our lives match what we answer, God. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for all you've done, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen.